I'll start off this morning with a quick poll. Raise your hand if you're a good news first person. You know, like when somebody comes up to you, I got good news, I got bad news. If you like good news first, raise your hand. All right, if you're a bad news first person, raise your hand. Wow, that's about a 50-50 split. Well, I got good news and I got bad news. I'm just going to do it the way I do it. Bad news first. You can't be the number 100 person anymore. Somebody got online already and took number 100. Good news is you can be 101. <laughs> so there you go. Actually, today's sermon, as we continue to look at the foundations of the world, uh, you can start turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Over the next two weeks, we kind of have a, a, a two-part sermon series talking about the foundation of the gospel, um, and that the gospel is laid out in Genesis, really, uh, where we first start to see the gospel be exposed. Uh, and, and the gospel is a good news, bad news story, um, and the keeping with my tradition, we're going to cover the bad news first. Um, and uh, we need to kind of, we're going to cover actually from Genesis chapter 3 all the way up through Genesis chapter 9 today. So it's going to be a whirlwind tour as we look at really um, the, the, really the idea of the foundation of the gospel. And this is where um, a, a giant road kind of comes to a, a fork in the road in the story of eternity. And so we're going to be looking at an idea that we don't want to very often. And the clicker has gone. So y'all get to keep up with me. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about God being the moral agent, that God is the one who sets morality. He gets to decide what is right and what is wrong. Um, he has that right as God, and what God says is right is right, and what God says is wrong is wrong. And he's not really giving us a say in that. That's him as creator and the moral agent. And here comes my. Vanna White. <laughs> Thank you, Vanna. The power of the clicker. But here's a question. And, and morality is just, you know, what is right and what is wrong. And God gets to be that. And that was our last pa uh, passage or last time we were looking at the foundation. And that, that God is the moral agent of creation. He is the one who decides what is right and wrong. And so we start off with this question. What happens when we break God's morals? If, if he sets the morals, if he decides what's right and wrong, what happens when we ignore that or we go against the right and wrong or we break his morals? Well, we have a word for it. Uh, it's not a word that's very popular in church anymore, and that is sin, right? And what we're going to do today is we're going to, to spend today looking at a forgotten idea in much of society, and that is the idea of sin. See, one of the things, and that, that's really the bad news part of the gospel, is, is that we have broke God's morality. Um, I believe there used to at least be some general degree of understanding about sin. That most of our society, especially the society we live in, had some general idea that God is perfect and we're less than that. Um, and that we are somewhat in not a good relationship with God. I think that was kind of a popular idea. But as morality has shifted, as we've moved to more uh, 
relativism within our society, there's a lot of people who would even question, is there such a thing as morality? Is there such a thing as sin anymore? And part of our telling the gospel is it requires us to help people understand their lostness. Before we can, there, there was a time when we could have gone up to most people on the street and asked them, are you saved? And they would have had enough base understanding to know what we're talking about and answer that. Um, but I'm not sure that time exists by large measure anyway. And really the truth of the matter is we need to get people lost before we can get them saved. You know, we need to help them understand the danger they're in before they can understand the rescue that Jesus offers them. And so part of our gospel foundation has to be our understanding of sin. And so we're going to walk through this. I, you may know uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That's a book in the New Testament. It's usually referred to as the love chapter because that's where it talks about what love is. And a lot of people refer to that chapter as the love chapter. Well, Genesis chapter 3 I refer to as the sin chapter. And it is, uh, so right at the beginning, there's a whole chapter dedicated to sin, and that's where we're going to kick off today. So first, sin arrives. Genesis chapter 3, verse one, uh, 1 through 7. We read this last week. God has set the rules. He set what more, what is right and what is wrong. <clears throat> and it tells us, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When this woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, <clears throat> and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This passage is usually referred to as original sin, the passage of original sin, the arrival of sin on earth. Um, and now I, I want to just kind of clarify that I'm talking about on earth. We Understand there was another sin event uh, somewhere prior to this where Satan fell. Satan had already rebelled, and this is when he comes and, and brings his rebellious spirit to the planet, and we jump right on board with him. Our great, 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 however many greats back, grandparents, Adam and Eve. And so it is this idea, but, but here is where I think some of that idea comes from. It says part of what humanity gained from this moment was the knowledge of good and evil. That within us and within all of us, we have some sense of right and wrong. Now, I think a lot of times we deny that, we try to fight against that, we try to explain it away, but there is this knowledge we have about God's morality. Um, and we try to ignore that or turn our deaf ear to it in many cases, but we have this understanding that something is wrong, that sin has arrived, that we have a gut feeling that, oh, that's bad. And we know it when we do it, although we often do it anyway. And so sin comes on the picture. God's perfect creation, sin has arrived. Then we find out what happens. Sin destroys Picking up with verse 8, uh, 
through 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some from the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And she goes on and blames the serpent. And we see the destruction of the relationship that man had with God. That, that man was able to walk with God and commune with God and they were together and it was a, a, a good relationship. But now that relationship is destroyed because we see Adam and Eve hiding from God, right? They're afraid of him now. That knowledge that they understand that there's some problem with them and God now is, is evident that they're trying to hide with them. And more, the sin doesn't just destroy the relationship they had with each other. It starts to destroy the relationship they have with each other because they're blaming each other. And so we see the destructive forces of sin in the world already, usually in, and primarily in our relationship with God. But here's the truth. Sin always destroys. Sin always destroys. Now, it's, it's interesting in this idea of when Satan was tempting Adam and Eve, he's trying to promote this as a good thing. Oh, you're going to get wiser. This is for your good. This is, this is going to help you out. And he knows that it destroys. It destroys their relationship with God. And we, Satan still kind of tries to convince us that sin's going to make us happy. It's pleasurable. It's going to be good. This is for your best. This is really what you want, knowing that it will destroy us. The Bible paints Satan as our enemy, as a lion who seeks to devour, who seeks to destroy. And his number one wrecking ball of our life is sin. Sin always destroys. So sin arrives. Sin begins the destruction of the relationship that people have with God. And then they find out that sin has consequences right there, there's there's consequences that follow when we sin this picks up in genesis chapter 3 starting with verse 14 so the lord god said to the serpent because you've done this cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to your wife and ate from the fruit from the tree from which I have commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat, from, eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. One of the truths about sin is it has consequences. It affects our lives. It's often sin affects the, the, the person who's sinning, the sinner. Um, and one of the most famous lines that people 
when they're giving in to their sin, they like to say, well, I'm not hurting anybody but myself, or I'm not even hurting anybody. That, that we're convinced that, that there are no consequences, that, that I'm just, and if I'm hurting anybody, it's just me. But the truth of the matter is, sin has consequences for people around us. And generally, the closer we are to people, the more that sin affects them. The, the, the sin of Adam and Eve affects all of us. It affects the world. It affects the, the very ground and, and the world that, in which Adam and Eve lived. It talks about the ground is now cursed and the, and the work that was going to be so pleasurable in the garden is now toil and, and sweat and your relationships are going to be troubled and, and those, all these consequences of sin. The truth of the matter is sometimes the consequences of sin are immediate, right? Sometimes... The drunk driver runs into a tree, and the results of his bad choices are immediate and swift and destructive. Sometimes that same sin will be accumulative over years and years, and the consequences might come slow because the same person addicted to much alcohol can develop cirrhosis of the liver much later down the road. So sometimes the results and the consequences are quick, and sometimes they're slow and accumulative over time. But they always come, and they always affect lots of people, affect the person as well as people that they're close to. And so sometimes we must realize that the, the consequences of sin, and, and we find ourselves in a lot of situations um, that bad things are happening to us, and, and we want to ask God, well, why did you allow this to happen? And the answer may be the consequences of our own sin, or in a lot of cases, the consequences of somebody else's sin too. And we live in this world broken and destroyed by sin and we're either giving consequences or receiving consequences and it, and it explains much of the trouble that's going on in the world. But sin always has consequences. Sin ultimately brings death. Genesis chapter 3 verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said... The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The consequence that God had told Adam and Eve would happen, that death would come, well, there's an immediate consequence. His relationship with God is immediately broken. He's spiritually dead immediately. And then there's a very slow, accumulative result of death, that eventually Adam will die, a physical death too, because he's locked away from the tree of life. So there's the picture of Genesis chapter 3. It's a beautiful picture. Here we are living in a world broken by sin. It's destruction on the world. The consequences flabbergasting all around us. We're living in a broken world waiting to die. That is humanity. That's the picture of the Bible. We live in a broken world suffering the results of sin, and we're all simply waiting to die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. 
both that physical, spiritual, and physical death. That's humanity. That's the bad news, right? It is this general understanding that makes people cry out, what will I do? Now, next week, we're going to get to the answer to that question. But that's a pretty bleak picture. Not the uh, rah, rah, feel good sermon you were probably expecting to receive this morning. Living in a broken world, waiting to die. But the bad news is, it gets worse. It gets worse. Because that's Adam and Eve, right? They're kicked out of the garden. We've turned over to to, uh, Genesis chapter 4, and guess what? We find out. Sin continues. It's hereditary. It passes on. It didn't just end with Adam and Eve, them being kicked out of the garden. To to their great chagrin, to, to their great horror, the thing that had brought such destruction in their life, they find out they've passed it on to their kids. In Genesis chapter 4, we read this story that the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, if you do the moral thing, if you follow my rules, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And we know the rest of that story. For some reason... Cain decides his way is the better way. He gives in to sin and strikes his brother down and murders him in the field. The the, the destruction and the pain, again, here we see sin bringing destruction. We see it having consequences, and we see it bringing death. And to Adam and Eve's great horror, there have affected their own kids. And it continues. But it gets even worse. Sin then starts to grow. It's not just bad enough that, it, that they've had it and they've passed it on to their kids, but it starts to increase. If you're from the South, you know what kudzu is. Kudzu is a, is a vine that uh, a university in the South, and we're not going to tell you who, who did bring it to the South, brought in to, con- to help fight erosion because it would grow and, and keep the dirt from being blown away. Well, they didn't realize... The stuff will take over everything. Kudzu grows at a rate of like a foot a day. You can almost literally watch it grow. Um, And it will cover entire buildings, entire trees. Hundreds and hundreds of acres have just been overcome by kudzu. Kudzu is the sin of the South. Right? Sin grows. Turn over, we're going to turn over just a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 6. It, it just arrived, right? It, it's passed on, and then pretty soon, look where we end up. Starting with verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil, or was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he'd made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds and heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The truth of the matter is when sin is left unchecked, when we don't repent of it, when we don't deal with it, when we don't cut it off at the root, it grows and it grows and it grows. 
And in the story of the Bible, sin grows so rapidly that God gets to the place he's upset. It says the intentions of their heart is continually on evil. And it's grieved God to his heart that something must be dealt with. That brings us to the next understanding is that sin deserves God's wrath. That's the whole story. We're going to cover Genesis chapter 6 through 9. The story of Noah. You've probably heard that in your, in your uh, childhood where God tells Noah to build a boat, a big giant ark, and he brings all the animals, at least two of every kind, and puts them on the ark, and a flood comes, and the ark survives the flood. This is all a story of God's wrath on sin. It's teaching us that, that, God's, that, that our sin, our rebellion for God deserves, and I would probably even say requires, God's wrath. See, God is just, and God is righteous. And when we do wrong things, one of those other things that exist within us, we have within us a general sense of fairness, of justice. It's what makes us long for that. When we see people mistreated, when we see things wrong, done wrong to other people, we get emotionally upset quite often because we, that's not right. That's not just. That's not fair. We have that within us to, to know what that means and what justice is. That comes because of that's who God is. He is just and he is right. And when people do wrong things, we know they should be punished. There should be accountability. There should be, they should be held responsible for the things they do wrong in society. And the fact of the matter is, in the great universe of the world, that is true. And God is that righteous and just judge. And he is required to give out justice. And our sin, our rebellion, deserves his wrath. One of the things it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word confess means to say the same thing about sin that God says or to agree with God about sin. And I think there's three agreements that we have to agree with God. One, what sin is, right? You're the moral agent. You get to decide what's right and wrong. And if you said it's right, it's right. And if you said it's wrong, it's wrong. And so we must agree with the sin as identified by God. We must agree with the uh, consequences of sin, right? I deserve to die. I don't deserve who you are. Can you ever thought about this when we face our own sin to say, I deserve God's wrath. I deserve to go to hell because I have been disobedient to God. That's an agreement we have to make. Because once we agree that, then we can go, Lord, help me. But it's getting there, getting ourselves and understanding our lostness that inspires us or, or calls us to, to cry out for salvation in God. And the third thing that we have to agree with about sin is there's nothing we can do about it. I can't make it up to God. I can't do enough to please God for him to say, oh, that's okay. That only God can deal with sin rightly. And he's made a way to do that so that we don't have to be under his wrath. That's the whole story of the Noah, right? That God's wrath's coming and there is hope when we face God's wrath. But if the story was perfect, if God was intent, his intentions, if, if, the, if the story of Noah worked like we want it, it'd be all over, right? It, it, it would be clean. 
But there, there's a problem. <laughs> it, it's still bad news. Because as soon as the flood's over, guess what we find out? That sin persists. It persists. It, it didn't get washed away in the flood. Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 and 22. After getting off the boat, after landing on dry ground, Noah began to be a man of the soil. He became a farmer. <coughs> and he planted a vineyard. And he drank the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Noah gets off, and, and we find out this, this man who had found favor in God, who had, who had led people through the wrath of God, on the other side, sin is still persisting within humanity. And Noah ends up getting drunk, passing out in his tent. So sin made it through the flood too. And the last thing I want us to realize is from that moment, from that time of its persistence, sin has continued to spread. Now, one of the things that we were uh, concerned about when COVID came about was how easy it was to spread, how contagious it was. Well, COVID's got nothing on sin. There is nothing more contagious in the world than sin. And in fact, we've all contracted it. <laughs> we've all become victims of this great spiritual sickness. The Bible assures us from Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that word all means in the Greek, all, everybody. Romans 5, chapter 12, goes on displaying, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, way back in Genesis chapter 3 in the sin chapter, through those sin, so death spread to all because all have sin. It's spread to all humanity. Everyone who's a descendant of Adam and Eve has inherited this terrible, uh, this terrible sickness. And then in 1 John 1, 8, it says, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The fact of the matter is, this is the foundation of the gospel. This is the bad news. Anybody happen to know, you? for some of you who've been in church for some time, what the word gospel means? Good news. And there's a reason we call it good news. But it's not good unless you understand the bad. And the truth of the matter is, we're in a world, we live in a world who either ignores, doesn't understand, doesn't believe, and doesn't comprehend the bad news. And so sometimes we got to go out and say, well, let me tell you the bad news, which makes the good news so good. And next week, as we prepare to have communion, we're going to look at the foundations of the good news now that we have seen the bad news. May God be glorified.